today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. You can respond to your boss in a way he does not deserve instead of the way he deserves. That is a picture of the gospel you believe to him, to your fellow students, and to everyone around you. Or say you just need a job, but the job you have is in food service. You're a waiter and you hate it. And you're planning to go to school, you're planning to get out of it. You have a job where the tips are bad, where the boss randomly reschedules you with no warning. You know what Peter would say? That is an amazing opportunity for gospel proclamation. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Submitting yourself to your boss at work, especially when your boss is unfair and ungodly, is a great opportunity for gospel proclamation. Your godly, submissive conduct toward your ungodly boss is a great way for you to shine a bright light in a dark place. Pastor Ricky will be encouraging us to turn the other cheek, pray and bless those who persecute us or treat us badly. This isn't an easy thing to do. It takes the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in your life to enable you to live this Christ-like life. Now, here's Pastor Ricky with his continuing study entitled, Caught Between Authority and the Heart Class. Going to college, you have to pass this one class to get to the next round of classes or to get your degree. But the professor in your class has been unreasonable. Uh, has, it, it, they are mean. They it feel like you, they are singling you out for no reason other than they don't like you and, and you've complained to the dean and they're not doing anything illegal and it seems like there's nothing you can do other than endure this. And then you check your kind of your, your, your course map and you realize you have another three classes with this person before you can escape this degree plan. That's one. Uh, here's another one. Maybe there's a legal situation that's difficult where you, as a result of something, maybe you didn't even do, uh, you have to make payments to the government, or you have to submit to a particular law that seems wrong or unreasonable or unjustifiable, and you wish, you know, you, you, you make appeals and there's no grace and you, you, you're stuck. But I think the most common uh, application for us today is probably with work situations, uh, an employment situation that is difficult, where you can't find another job yet, where your boss is being unreasonable or harsh, um, and this applies at the bottom and top of kind of the employee chain. Perhaps you're the lowest level employee and you have no power and your superiors give you all the worst assignments and you can't find another job and you can't escape. Or perhaps you're at a high level, you're an executive, but you're still under a president who is moody and difficult and who never recognizes your work and only brings criticism to any report you submit and you think, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm on this road, pushed up against by an authority, up against difficult circumstances, and I can't escape. What encouragement can Peter possibly offer for asking us to be respectful, to do what they say, and do it regardless of how they're treating us. Two things that we learn from suffering servants here. First, this suffering can be to the proclamation of Jesus. Remember that we are in a section of this letter uh, where Peter 
is emphasizing that we've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light for a purpose, and that purpose is proclaiming the one who called us out of darkness into light. We are to proclaim that. And Peter has already covered, we, we can proclaim that through our holiness. We can proclaim that through our response to the government. And now he's saying you can proclaim it through very difficult circumstances. Um, Peter has just told them a couple verses earlier uh, that they are free. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He's saying, listen, you're free. Even if you're a slave, even if you're under someone's thumb, you are free in Christ. But I want you to use that freedom to promote the gospel. This is amazing. Peter is encouraging them to act contrary to the whole culture. Um, The culture always defaults to treat people the way that they are being treated. If you're being treated badly, you treat badly. If you're treated well, you treat well. He says you're to be countercultural. If you're treated badly, you treat them well. He directs suffering servants to treat their masters in a way they do not deserve. And there is something uniquely powerful and uniquely Christian about that. Commentator Ed Clowney says this, this kind of response offers a golden opportunity to show the uniqueness of Christian service. By patiently enduring enduring unmerited abuse, they show the opposite, listen, of a servile, a servant attitude. They demonstrate their freedom because if the Christian responds in kind with good or good or evil for evil, he becomes merely a victim when he is treated unjustly. In burning resentment, he seeks an opportunity to repay the evil. But if he bears the evil patiently, he has broken the chain of bondage in the power of the Lord. He shows that his confidence is in God's justice. He need not avenge himself. He also shows that his service is not really forced, but voluntary. He is willing to serve his master for the Lord's sake. Remember that phrase from last week even to honor him for the Lord's sake. Listen, this is, the, this is the big finish that I love. His master cannot enslave him, for he is Christ's slave. Slavery to Christ transforms servitude into freedom. So by treating them the way that they should not be treated with respect, with obedience, they're demonstrating the reality of how the gospel has changed their life. Now, think about it with a couple situations. Say you're working your way through a medical residency, just hypothetically, not that we have any med students, right? And your whole life and career are in the hands of the people observing you. But one person in particular that's observing you, that holds your fate in their hands is unreasonable. You guys don't deal with any unreasonable professors, do you? That's like totally hypothetical. Um, Constantly maybe criticizing you in front of other people, watching every little thing you do wrong and bringing it up. And then other classmates do the same thing and they're just like, oh, it's fine, you'll get it. And then you do it and you're like, they're like, you are uh, failing the Hippocratic Oath every hour of every day. Get out of here, you know? And Peter would say, listen, listen, this is an amazing opportunity for gospel proclamation. You can respond to your boss in a way he does not deserve instead of the way he deserves. That 
is a picture of the gospel you believe to him, to your fellow students, and to everyone around you. Or say you just need a job, but the job you have is in food service. You're a waiter and you hate it. And you're planning to go to school. You're planning to get out of it. You have a job where the tips are bad, where the boss randomly reschedules you with no warning. You know what Peter would say? That is an amazing opportunity for gospel proclamation. That is an amazing opportunity because all of your fellow employees are grumbling and whining and angry. And you know what you can do? You can respond to them in a way that they do not deserve. Not working for them, but working for Christ to proclaim who he is. This suffering can be an opportunity for gospel proclamation. But second, this suffering can be to your gain in Jesus. Verse 20 says, what credit is it if when you, in, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Meaning, kind of pause there, just real quick, I'll insert a comment. Um, he's basically saying, don't do bad things and then get beaten or reprimanded or kind of killed and written up for it. That doesn't help anything, doesn't help you, doesn't help your witness, doesn't help anything. So just by the way, don't do that, okay? I think that's relatively clear, Okay. But, so that this is the more profound part. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He's saying, look, don't be stupid and sin and get punished. But if you do good and get punished, that is a credit to you. God looks and says, hey, that's my grace at work in you. And God himself will reward you. God will let no gracious deed be unrewarded in eternity. And it's amazing because it's his work in you, as we've talked about. You've been born again to a living hope. He's put his spirit inside you so you can obey. But when you obey with his help, with, with, uh, you know, with his spirit inside you, when you obey, which is really just cooperating with the work of the spirit, when that happens, the Lord sees it and goes, you know what? I'll take that on my tab. You know, you, you don't get some tips left by a table that was mean the whole time. You know who's picking up the tab for that? God. That, that, that's what Peter is saying, that God sees every small, unseen act of respect or act of obedience, and he himself is keeping track of it. It's not as though nobody sees or nobody cares. God sees it. God takes note. And God is saying he himself will repay you. This suffering can be to your eternal gain. I think that's a pretty good deal. So you lose a hundred bucks in tips. You lose out on the specialty that you were trying to get in your profession that would have been a higher earning profession, kind of a higher earning specialty. You know who's picking up the tab for that? Who will pay you in eternity? Jesus. And if any of us, given the opportunity to say, listen, I'll give you 10 bucks now or $100,000 in 10 years, I think we'd all go, I can live without the 10 bucks. I'll take the $100,000. God goes one better and says, friend, anything unrepaid here, anything unseen here, in eternity, for eternity, I'll repay you. That is a credit for you. That is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So, what do we learn from suffering servants in general? Well, suffering servants receive both a charge and encouragement here. They are to respond with humble respect and hard work regardless of who your boss is or who that authority is. But with that charge comes encouragement that Jesus himself is your boss and he will repay you. So here's an application. Here's something to think about. 
how do you respond to the authorities in your life? And I think especially if you could zero in on work a little bit, how do you respond to your boss? And what, listen, what determines how you treat them? What determines how hard you work? Now listen, if you're in an abusive situation, the great thing about our country is we have, all, we have laws, we have agencies that could be contacted. And listen, if there's real abuse, you should absolutely use the government, which we covered last week, to bring correction when it's needed. Okay, so I'm not talking about that. Um, but an average day, average week, what's your response to your boss? Is it, I'm going to treat them the way that they've treated me? Or is it, I'm not even working for them. I'm working for Jesus. And my job assignment from Jesus right now is to treat people in a way that demonstrates the fact that I got treated in a way I don't deserve, so I treat people in a way they don't deserve. That, friends, is powerful. That's what we learn from suffering servants. But briefly, here at the end, what we learn from the suffering servant, Jesus. Um, Now, Peter, it, it may seem strange, inserts here a theological discourse. So he's talking to suffering servants, he's talking to people in hard circumstances, and then it seems and feels like for several verses, he just kind of goes like out into theology land, giving us a bunch of facts about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And you can go, listen, I don't understand how that stuff helps me. I'm a servant, I'm suffering. How does this help me, friends? Theology is one of the most practical things in the world when you're suffering. Sometimes when we're suffering, we go, listen, I don't want to learn about Jesus. I don't want to learn about eternity. I don't want to learn about the character of God. I need something that'll help me now. Peter says this, this will help you now. And here he says a few things, and I wish I could go into more depth with each of these, but I'm just going to give you um, these main points. He says first that Jesus walked the road you are walking. If you're going through something difficult, Jesus has walked it. Verse 21 says, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit from his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Paul says, You are not alone on this road. Your Savior is an example for you. This word example is a Greek word that that means pattern. And it's often used in the Greek language of children who would trace something to learn their letters. So they would have a pattern and they would trace. And you remember this, right, from first grade or whatever, where there's the little dots connecting the A and you'd go right, A. And then you do B, right? And And it's very easy, you know, it's right in front of you. You just keep connecting one dot to the next one. You keep going, you'll be fine. In the same way, Jesus is saying, I've gone every step of the way in front of you, leaving a clear pattern for you to trace with your life. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's laid it out for us. When we look at the future, it's not as though we see this big unknown, nobody's ever been here before, beware, danger, no one's ever gone this way before. No, 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 there's a path. There is a path that's been walked before us. And look at what Jesus did on this path. He committed no sin. Listen, when we're suffering in these kinds of situations, the temptation to sin is strong, isn't it? 
There's a temptation to lash out in sinful anger, to gossip or slander, but Jesus did not. And he calls us to follow him. They said there, it says that there's no deceit found in his mouth. We, when we're in a hard situation, sometimes we want to cut corners. We want to hide things. We want to be deceptive, but Jesus wasn't. And he calls us to follow him. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. We, we, we want to respond with evil for evil, but Jesus did not. And the summary statement here is he, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Often the greatest part, the, the greatest difficulty with a hard workplace situation or a hard authority situation, the thing underneath it all is this question, do you trust God? When you don't entrust yourself to God, you're tempted to say, I've got to take control of this. I've got to use anger or deceit or reviling to get what I want, to protect myself, to make sure I'm going to be okay, to make sure my family is going to be okay. I don't trust that God is going to take care of me, so I've got to take care of myself. But Jesus did the opposite. Jesus said, listen, I'm entrusting myself to somebody that cares for me. And that trust resulted in the fact that he didn't commit any sins. He trusted the Lord. He didn't speak deceit. He trusted the Lord. He didn't revile. He trusted the Lord. Jesus' response to suffering was different because he actively entrusted himself to the Father. And there was something about the Father that he found comfort in. And it is this. He judges justly. This means that no evil deed ever committed will go unpaid for. We want people to get what they deserve, and they will. God makes sure of that. It also means that no good deeds ever know go unnoticed. We will be commended for small kindnesses and unseen obedience. Jesus walked this road, and second, Jesus' road achieved our complete salvation. Jesus' road led to a place that our road will never lead to so that we would never have to go there after him. Verse 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Peter abruptly transitions from, okay, this is how Jesus is like us. This is how we follow his pattern to, look, here's some things that Jesus has done that nobody can repeat. Ed Clowney, a commentator, says this, we lack Peter's preparation for understanding this. So he helps us get inside his mind. We have not witnessed, as Peter did, the offering of lambs and bulls and goats on the altar of sacrifice. The symbolism is not as vivid in our minds. Yet Peter knew that the sacrifices at Jerusalem had not cleansed his heart from sin. Again and again and again, blood was shed. And again and again and again, it needed to be shed. Faced with the divine power of Jesus on the Lake of Galilee, Peter cried, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. When Jesus went to Calvary, he bore the sins of many. The wood of his cross could be put upon another. The weight of Peter's sin was his alone to bear, and yet it was borne by Jesus. Should anyone think lightly of his sin? He cannot after seeing the agony of the Son of God. Jesus bore our sins personally in his own body. He was God's lamb without spot. Only he could do so, for only he, for only he was who Peter confessed him to be. No mere man, not the greatest prophet, 
but the Lord's anointed. And listen to this, friends, that such a price was paid by the son who gave his life, by the father who gave his son, is the measure of the measureless love of God. Here's what this means. Jesus walked this road in a way that we could never walk so that we would never have to follow it to the end. Jesus walked this road of suffering perfectly sinless. And because of that, he could be our substitute. We could not walk to the end without sin, but Jesus did. And because he did, there is a section of the road that is boarded up for us, that's marked the wrath of God that we deserved. And Jesus went there for us so that we would never have to go there. Christians, brothers and sisters, in suffering, we get long-term memory loss. Here's what I mean. All we remember is the short-term circumstances and suffering in front of us. It fills our view. It's all we can think about. But if we could remember just a little further back, when we ask the question, does God love us? We would see him hanging there upon the cross, bearing the wrath of God for us and we would find comfort. And friend, if if you're here and you're suffering and you're not a Christian, your thoughts are probably consumed with whatever the big thing is in your life. But friend, there's an even bigger issue in your life. It's the eternal destiny that you find yourself on. You've been sinned against. The Bible acknowledges that. But you have also sinned. If true and perfect justice came, if the thing you're longing for, that God would come and judge everyone, if that happened, you yourself would find yourself condemned. But Jesus has made a way. He has substituted himself so that if you believe in him, your sins would go to him and his righteousness would come to you. And this is, friends, the glorious effect Jesus shepherds us on the road. Verse 25, and this is where we'll end. It says, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Not only did Christ walk the road perfectly, not only did he substitute himself to obtain our complete salvation, he is himself with us on the road as a shepherd. Shepherds are not passive. They don't just look and watch and go, okay, here's what's happening with the sheep. They're active. They're guarding from danger. They're making sure they have water. They're walking with them along the way. They're sleeping out on the stars with them. And so it is with Jesus. He walks this road again with us. Let me end by saying this. There are times in our life that we feel like suffering servants, but there is someone that's gone the road ahead of us. The suffering servant has walked our road for our salvation and is with us still. So, what's the application? The application is use that suffering to proclaim Him. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. something that many people have little of, and yet we clamor for the latest this or that, believing that our longing for hope will be fulfilled. 
Pastor Ricky will be teaching through the book of 1 Peter here on Better News Radio. We'll learn that hope is something that is beyond this world and that our lives will become holy once we hope in the eternal. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. That's betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Better News Radio Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio. Better News Radio.